0: this is episode 86 uh, and we have another guest on uh, i'm very excited for this guest uh, we're going to cover a lot of great topics everything multifamily real estate investing so if you're looking to learn a few tricks how to become a, a gplp or find out what does it even mean uh, this is the show for you but first of all uh, quick introduction tim bratz uh, is a ceo and founder of legacy wealth holdings a real estate investment company that acquires and transforms distressed apartment buildings into high yield assets for their own portfolio. Tim's current portfolio exceeds 4,000 units with a valuation of more than $350 million. Working in a real estate, Tim has built a passive business and created a residual income that allows him to live the last step of his choice. Uh, he's here to educate and empower others to become financially free through commercial real estate. And of course, all the links uh, for you guys and girls to connect with Tim is gonna be down below. So make sure you go and and, uh, follow up with Tim after the interview or before that. But uh, Tim, really appreciate you today joining me.
1: Yeah, I'm super pumped to be here. Thanks for having me. And uh, hopefully I can lend some insights.
0: I'm sure you can. I mean, 4,000 units. So, you know, where do you even start with that? You know, that's a kind (laughs) of, you know, great achievement. And I think a lot of people like to get there. But first of all, if we kind of just uh, take apart and start at the beginning of your journey, can you just explain people, uh, you know, your background, how did you get involved in the real estate business?
1: Yeah, man, I think, um, yeah, it, listen, it's, it's hard to see 4,000 doors into the future, right? Um, and I remember, you know, when I was first going through college, and I saw, these real estate investors, there was a guy named Dave Lindahl, who was out of Boston originally. He was on his way to 7,000 doors or 10,000 doors or something like that. And um, I remember watching him on like YouTube videos or his video blog or whatever it was. I'm like, oh my gosh, how do you even start, right? So, um, you know, when I was going through college was 2003 to 2007 was when the market was going crazy, right? Everybody's making money in real estate. That's what motivated a 20 year old kid at the time. And uh, I decided to start a painting company, get into construction a little bit. I worked for one of the largest home builders in the country. And then in 2007, when I graduated from college, I moved out to New York City. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, originally. And so when I moved out to New York City, um, I got a real estate license. I thought that's how you got involved in owning real estate. So I got a real estate license. I started brokering. um, And for some reason, I parked my license with a commercial real estate brokerage instead of a residential. So I started brokering uh, leases for offices and retail spaces in Manhattan. And uh, it took me about eight, nine months to close my first deal, signed my first lease on a retail space and it was 400 square feet. So very small, I don't know, size of a couple of bedrooms. And uh, uh, for 400 square feet, the, the tenant signed a lease for $10,000 a month with 4% annual increases and a 12 year lease term. And I remember just doing the math on that thinking, my goodness, this landlord is going to make almost $2 million over the next 12 years for doing something one time. And um, I was like, I'm on the wrong side of the coin, all right? I need to be owning real estate, not brokering real estate. And so I ended up uh, leaving New York and moved out to Charleston, South Carolina. And um, this is 2008, right when the market is, is just falling apart. And I was going through that whole you know, analysis paralysis, trying to understand and learn everything I possibly could. And it took about six months to do that. And then all of a sudden the market tanked during that time. And I'm like, I just showed up to invest in real estate. Now everybody's saying run from real estate. So I, uh, uh, what was fortunate though, is is I was able to get involved at the bottom of the marketplace. So I started learning um, and I, it's hard to lose when you're buying houses for 15 or $20,000, you know, that'll rent for six or $700 a month. And so, you can always just sit on it for flow, but the hard part was raising money. It was very difficult. There were deals everywhere, but there was no money. Nobody wanted to invest in real estate. So I had to learn how to be creative. I had to get seller financing. I had to learn how to raise private money. I had to um, you know, do these lease with options and, and things like that, that really gave me a lot of tools to get creative on how to find great deals and how to source great deals and how to structure great deals um, and get involved in deals without using any of my own capital. And so uh, I I got pretty good at finding deals. I got pretty good at building up a little bit of a portfolio. I started meeting people with money and they said, Hey, I have money, but I don't have the bandwidth. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the expertise to go out and find deals and renovate them and manage them. And Tim, why don't you do the work and I'll bring the money. And I ended up meeting private money lenders. And that's how I got my first private money lender. Um, I just kind of grew that, you know, I, I, I bought one house, right. And then I bought, three houses and then I bought a duplex and then I bought another house and I just kind of organically grew it to uh, about 10 units over the course of three years, I want to say. And I was, I I wasn't rich, but actually, no, I'm sorry. It was, it was less than that. It was about 18, 24 months. And um, I wasn't rich, but I was financially free. I had uh, 10 properties. It paid for all the operating expenses, paid for all the debt service, paid for all my personal expenses. Excuse me. And put, and put some money in my pocket also. So not a lot, I made an extra thousand dollars a month after all those things were paid. So I wasn't rich, but I was financially free at the age of 25 years old. And I'm thinking, I got this figured out, right? So then all of a sudden I'm this serial entrepreneur and I go and get involved in all these other different like businesses and chase the shiny objects and it was completely broke in 2012. Sold my real estate, and it was completely broke in 2012. And it, the only house I still had was my own primary home, and I had to sell that in order to get out of the situation that I was in. And, and um, real estate saved me. So all of a sudden, it worked when I was 25. It saved me when I was 27. And I realized, like, I just need to focus on real estate. And so, um, you know, kind of pressed the reset button. I moved back to Cleveland, Ohio. I uh, got engaged to my now my wife and um, moved back in with my parents. It was you know, pretty embarrassing and a uh, tough time, but you know, uh, swallowed my pride and just started over again. And I bought another property and bought another property. And I started, and I, and I had this this couple of brothers who uh, brought private money to me. And they said, hey man, um, see what you're doing. We'd love to be a partner. And I gave up 67% of every deal I did to them. I didn't get fees. I didn't get acquisition fees asset management fees. I didn't get anything like that. Um, I got a salary of $3,000 a month and that was it. And I had to go out and do all the work. I found deals. I renovated them. I sometimes swung the hammer. I managed contractors. I collected rent. I placed tenants. I kicked out tenants. I was at eviction court. I was doing all those different things to the point that, um, you know, I had, I had, a, a, I knew that I had a, pay my dues kind of a thing is, is where my head was at. So I ended up doing the work and um, building a portfolio with those partners of about 140 units um, over the course of 2012 to 2015 ish. And, um, and then that partnership ended up going in opposite directions. Obviously my skills that increased the amount of money that they brought to the table decreased and it just wasn't, it wasn't equal anymore. And so, um, We ended up liquidating everything and I start over again, right? Press the reset button again in 2015. Um, And I think, you know, one of those things where people see that as like a setback, it was actually a set up for for better things. It allowed me to really just kind of spread out, spread my wings and go and do bigger, better uh, things and partner up with other people and um, get involved in different types of projects. And so from 2015 to 2020, uh, where I'm sitting here today over the past five years, I built a portfolio of just shy. Actually, I just closed on 128 units yesterday. So I think I'm at, I'm just shy of 4,200 units today as we're sitting here.
0: Here you go. Here you go. And it's been a quiet a journey. It's been quite yeah, a journey yeah, for you so been, far.
1: <laughs> it's I mean, been, a, it's been a lot and it's been, uh, but it's been good. You know, like I, I haven't, um, listen, man, I, I, I went through a lot of struggles. I went through a lot of, um, you know, kind of getting kicked in the crotch, punched in the face kind of a thing. Um, but I wouldn't change any of it. Got me to where I am today. And yeah. um, like sometimes you got to go through some of those things. They're learning curves. It, it made me better. And uh, at the end of the day, I just, I never quit, you know? And that was, I, I think, a differentiator between a lot of people who jump from asset class to asset class or business to business or industry to industry. Um, it, it takes a lot of work to get off the ground. And a lot of people, they think, hey, the grass is going to be greener on the other side if I just jump now, you know? But then they got to get that off the ground, right? And then and they just, they never get ahead because they never become an expert at it. And I never had anything to retreat to. Uh, real estate's the only thing I've ever known since I was in college. And so um, what was I going to do? Like, I didn't have any other options, right? All my ships were burned. I had to either figure it out and make it work or, or die trying. So um, I think that's a, that's a big differentiator for a lot of people
0: got it got it and again uh, i would love for for you to give uh, advice for people you know who are watching and thinking about you know starting something up but again they just lost an information because you know in this day and age there's so many opportunities that you can become wealthy with uh, again the key to becoming a wealthy with that one thing is just being focused and becoming great at it is is, is that exactly what you did you know since yeah, 2007 100%. You just stay in the real estate lane and that's what you did. Of course, you, you changed the, you know, the asset classes. You went from commercial to single family, then back to commercial multifamily. But what will be your advice for people who don't know where to start? Like, because they're just lost in all this information.
1: Yeah, I, I would just go out and find a deal. You know, a lot of people like I need, I need all the information first before I can go and buy a deal. I don't care if it's a single family deal and it's a, it's a house in a C-class neighborhood, even a D-class neighborhood, a war zone, doesn't even matter. Go out and just buy something, buy something that's super cheap, just kind of get involved and just do a deal, right? You're gonna learn more from doing that first deal than you will by reading about it in hundred books. It's like learning how to swim. Are you gonna learn how to swim by reading about swimming in a book? Or do you actually need to get in the water and start treading water and practicing the different strokes? You actually have to get in the water. Real estate's the same thing. You have to go out and do deals doesn't matter how much you read, how many podcasts you listen to. If you are not out doing deals, you're not gonna learn the tricks of the trade. And, um, and are, are, you know, are you gonna get punched in the mouth? Yeah, a lot, right? It's gonna happen by contractors, by tenants, by vendors, by joint venture partners, by employees, by all these different people. And um, it's, it's part of the game. But here's what I know. Real estate is not an experiment. Right, like, yeah, like I know that it works, everybody knows that it works. How many millionaires and billionaires have been made from real estate more than in any other industry? So, you know, it works now. You just have got to go out and refine the skill sets and, and get the information, uh, get really good at the operation side of things. Um, really, the key is, is three things finding deals, finding money and refining your operations. You're doing those three, things, those three things all the time and you can have a ton of success in real estate. Those are the only three things that really, really matter. It's like your vital signs, right? It's like your heartbeat and your brain activity and, and your, your breath, right? It's like, those are the three things that are gonna keep you alive in this business.
0: Got it. Got it. That, that's, uh, I love the way you put out. And I love that you said that real estate investing is not an experiment. Like it's already works and it's time proven, you know, investment strategy. So talking about the investment strategies, can you go back to the time where you actually acquired your first deal? Again, I think it will give a lot of great insights for the people again, who are going to be starting out in this uh, industry. So can you kind of, you know, talk about how do you have, uh, how did you find the deal and how did you close it? How, how did you operate it and where it was?
1: Yeah, yeah. So my first, I'll, I'll give you two. Um, my first uh, uh, house that I ever purchased was in, it was in April of 2009. And this is in the bottom of the of the real estate market, right? So you could buy anything you wanted on the MLS. And I went out there, the cheapest house on the entire MLS was $25,000. And uh, that was great, right? It's a cheap house. Problem was I didn't have $25,000. So how do you get $25,000 when I was 23 years old and I have zero experience in real estate? I'm a punk 23 year old kid. And this is the worst real estate recession this country has ever seen. And everybody's saying run, run, run from real estate. It's not easy to go and acquire capital in order to go and invest in, in real estate. Right? When you've never done a deal before and everybody's saying like all these people are going broke six months prior because of real estate. So, Um, the good news is I had this, this friend named MasterCard who did have a line of, I had a line of credit with $3,000 on my credit card. So I called them up and I said, Hey, I'm about to make a big purchase. I need you to increase my limit. And, um, they said, what do you need? I said, I need a hundred thousand dollars on my limit. They said, no chance. It's not going to happen. You've been a great customer for 15 months that you've been, you know, out of college, but guess what? We're not going to give you that much money. And, uh, I said, well, how much can you give me right now over the phone? They give me $15,000. So that's great, but I still don't have 25 grand. So I made an offer on the cheapest house on the MLS at $12,000. And I wasn't uh, uh, held back by being embarrassed and making a low offer, right? And in fact, I heard it at, at early on that if you're not embarrassed by your offer, you're offering too much money. Now that's a little bit tougher to go by today because there's a lot of people who are uh, make, you know paying retail price or even over retail price for property. And, uh, but back then they, they, there were so many properties on the market. Like what, what? Yeah. And I'm making an offer to a bank. Is a, is a bank really going to be that, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a faceless corporation. I was like, I was, I was okay going in low ball offer it at the, at a bank. So the bank comes back at 14,000. Well, we went back and forth and I ended up getting it for $14,000. I ended up writing myself a balance transfer check myself, my own bank account. And then I I used that money in order to go and buy the house. And then I had a couple thousand dollars scraped up of my own. And I used that to find, you know, remnant carpet on Craigslist and find used appliances and used um, uh, light fixtures and stuff at the, the Habitat for Humanity Restore. And I just figured it out. And I went and physically did all the work on that property myself. And then I physically handed out flyers to all the neighbors and I held an open house and I put up bandit signs and I ended up having um, a bunch of people that came through on a, on a, uh, uh, an open house about, I don't know, 90 days after I bought the property and ended up selling it to one of the neighbors for 30, $33,000 is what I sold it for. So I was all in for about 19,000. I think I netted around 13, $14,000 and it was the most money I've ever made. And I was like, if I can do this on my first deal, never knowing what I'm doing, you know, with, with minimal knowledge at, at the age of 23 and in the worst real estate economy ever, guess what? I think I could do it again. Let's do it again, do it again. And that's when I started getting really good at finding great deals. And, uh, and i bring it, I started wholesaling it, learned how to wholesale. And then some of those wholesale buyers, the, the, the retail flippers, um, they said, hey, listen, man, I got money, but I just don't have the bandwidth to take on any more projects. Can you oversee the renovation? Can you do the, all the work? And I'll just, I'll lend you the money for the deal. Uh, or I met people in other industries that, uh, that uh, other entrepreneurs that had money, but just didn't know how to do real estate. And they ended up investing with me. And so that's how it just started to, to, to culminate.
0: Got it. Got it. So what will be kind of your advice uh, for people who are watching? Would you advise for them to start with, you know, a house flip, buying first residential property or just dive in, in a multifamily?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you find a good deal in a house flip, go and do it. If you find a good deal in a multifamily, go and do it. I like buy and holds, and I like buying for cash flow. I think if you're buying for cash flow, that's kind of the lowest common denominator of uh, does a deal work. Meaning, uh, if it'll cash flow, you can wholesale it. If it'll cash flow, you can flip it. If it'll cash flow, you can finance it or refinance it. Um, if it'll cash flow, you can just hold it and let it cash flow until the market gets better. Um, if it'll cash flow, you have a lot of different strategies, a lot of different options, and I think with quantity of options, quality of options comes with that, and you'll have um, just a better, better uh, um, ability to make more money. So any deal, go with it. I like multifamily deals, like that's that's really what I do now. So if you find a duplex or a three-unit or a four-unit, go and take it down. Um, if you have the means and the and the um, Uh, you're brave enough to take down a 15 or a 50 unit apartment building, go and do it. I wouldn't necessarily do that on your own though. I would find somebody with experience in the marketplace, um, either in that industry or in that market, who's done real estate before. And I would link arms with them and joint venture with them on a deal. Because what you don't want to do is fail big time on a 50 unit apartment building. And then I, I have a good buddy who flips 200 houses a year. In the turnkey space. He bought one apartment building and didn't know the nuances. There, there's some nuances of management and operations and uh, type of tenants and property management and project management, and all these different things. And um, and this guy bought a 50-unit, 48-unit apartment building, and uh, and he ended up losing on it. He didn't necessarily lose, he like broke even, but it was a big Uh, it took a, it was a ton of brain damage on him for about three years of his life. And he's sworn off multifamily ever since then. Um, Because he he didn't have experience in multifamily. He didn't, you know, partner up with somebody who did. And so he had a very bad experience. So I wouldn't suggest getting into a big property right out of the gate, unless you partner with somebody who really knows what they're doing. They really know what they're doing partner up with somebody else, you bring the deal, you bring some money, you bring operations or be willing to be the boots on the ground. And um, you know, for, for not having certain resources or certain uh, um, capabilities to bring to the deal, you got to overcompensate with hard work. You got to overcompensate with doing the dirty tasks that nobody else wants to do and bringing value somehow to that project. And if you're willing to bring the value there, other people are going to be willing to partner up with you.
0: Got it, got it. That's a solid, great advice. So thank you for sharing uh, that with the audience. Them appreciate it. So can you share again, some of, some of the strategies that help you to scale your business to 4,000 plus units?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, number one is focus, right? So I was, um, I was kind of a, a deal, I was all over the place. I was doing single family flips. I was doing single family wholesale. I was doing single family uh, turnkey. I had a property management company. Uh, I bought some vacation houses. I bought land to then improve and then resell the land. I bought uh, office, I bought um, storage. I bought, I bought a whole bunch of different things along with multifamily. And I was so scattered, I was so diverse. I was diversified, which means I, I actually get scared when people say they're diversified in lots of different industries and markets and all this stuff, because um, that tells me that they're not focused. I'd rather see somebody who's focused, who understands their niche and is the best in that niche in whatever, you know, in that marketplace or in that um, in that niche itself. So for me, I, I went on vacation in August of 2017 and I had a few hundred apartment units that I had built up again. And so I sit on vacation and I got all these different businesses and, and industries or, or asset classes that I'm focused on, not, not really focused on, but I think I'm focused on them. And I'm sitting there on a lake in upstate New York And, um, I woke up early and I'm having a cup of coffee and I'm doing over, I'm going over my goal setting and I'm going over my, um, uh, uh, my net worth. And, you know, you get very, uh, reflective, I think when you're on vacation and nobody's awake yet and I'm just hanging out and thinking about life and I'm in this beautiful setting. And, um, and I had this epiphany and I'm looking at my net worth and I'm realizing 90% of my net worth came from apartment buildings but it was only about 10% of the time that I spent on business. And I'm like, what, what am I doing? Like, what if I spent a hundred percent of my time, what could that do to my net worth? And so after that vacation, I came back and on Monday I walk into my office and I told my team, we are no longer doing anything other than buying single, I'm sorry, apartment buildings, buying multifamily real estate. So I said, we're going to see all the single family through to the finish. That's already in the, in the pipeline. We'll finish it all out over the next six months. And, uh, and that gave us a little bit of cash to, to cover while we were going out and acquiring more apartment buildings. But, but guess what? When all of a sudden you focus on something different, I told my acquisition guy, you don't look at any more single family, only look at apartments. You know what the next apartment deal was that he brought me? 15 units, I'm sorry, it was 11 units in a great location in, uh, in, a, in a solid B plus, A minus kind of an area, uh, trending upward. Uh, real, real trendy, cool kind of, kind of an area of, of Cleveland, Ohio and uh, needed a lot of work though. So we didn't want to take it on ourselves. So we ended up wholesaling it. We netted $87,000 from that wholesale deal. Then I found a 14 unit apartment building. We ended up flipping it and I made $120,000 on that inside six months. And then like, and it just kept, and then all of a sudden I found a 20 unit and I ended up holding it. And I found a nine unit. And I ended up holding it. I found an 11 unit. And I ended up holding it. And then I organically built up my portfolio. So then I took down a 50 unit and then I took down a 72 unit. And then I had, you know, a few hundred units in my portfolio now where, uh, all right, about 600, where then a 700 unit portfolio came across my desk and I could qualify to buy that. And it doubled my portfolio overnight to about 1300 units. And so now I have 1300 units. Now I can get a seat at the table to negotiate and make an offer on pretty much any size project. And so that's exactly what happened. Now I have this momentum built up. Now I can take down another 400 units. I can take down this 200 units. I can take down, you know, hundred unit complexes over and over and over again. And it allowed me to then build my portfolio to 4,000 units because I kept on doubling pretty much every
0: year. Got it. Got it. That, that's a key takeaway that I got, you know, from, from your stories, just to focus, focus yep. on one. Yeah. Focus on one works. That's, that's awesome. It, it,
1: and just become, become an expert at it. When you, when yeah. you think, about, think about doctors, uh, a general practitioner doctor can make a great living. They can make $150,000, $200,000 a year, but they're never going to make much more than that. However, if you go and talk to a brain surgeon, a neurosurgeon, a podiatrist, a, you know, anybody who focuses on one specific type of medicine, because they're an expert in their field, they make $800,000 a year on average. Some of them make multiple seven figures a year because of the, the, the niche that they're in. So when you start thinking about it that way, the more niche, the more rich you get, right? Stay niche and you'll get rich. Uh, the more general you get, you can make a good living, but you know, you're never going to really build up uh, and become not only the expert, but the authority in your field.
0: That's great. That's great. I love that example. So the, the more niche, the more rich. I love that too. So, <laughs> so can you, can you talk about some of your deals? Again, 4,000 units. So I'm sure you're a little bit spread out all or over the, uh, all or over the States. So can you talk about the, some of the deals, like what uh, States are you located in and why have you choose to invest in those States?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm in uh, it's a great question. Um, so I'm in, I'm in, I, I don't know, I think 12 different States right now. And what happened is I, I, I just started talking about my real estate on social media and all of a sudden on Facebook, people would be like, Hey man, can I bring you a deal? Hey man, can I buy a deal from you? Hey, can we joint venture on this deal in Georgia? Right. Or can I invest with you or Hey Tim, can I like, do you mentor? Do you coach? Can I pay you to mentor me? And all of a sudden it turned into um, wow, this social media thing's actually pretty powerful. right. I'm getting deal flow. I'm getting money flow. And, uh, joint venture partners and uh, and people want me to now, now uh, want to pay me to coach them. So it ended up turning into a little bit of like an education type platform where um, I do seminars four times a year. I'd have hundred, 200 people coming out to these events and I teach them how to go out and do deals. And they would go out and do a bunch of deals on their own. But then sometimes they'd come across a deal that was too big for them to take down or they didn't have enough cash or they just wanted somebody to kind of, have their back and help them feel comfortable, kind of hold their hand through the deal. And we were available for that. So all of a sudden these deals started coming from students of mine where I was able to get involved with them. They were able to do, you know, the project management and the property management, any sort of on-site type stuff. And we were able to focus on the things that we're really good at, which was raising money. I have a big balance sheet so I can sponsor big loans. I have, um, a team that is just absolutely, absolute rock stars at administrative and asset management type stuff that can be done remotely from anywhere in the world. So we're able to focus on all those different things. They could focus, our joint venture partner could focus on the boots on the ground type efforts. And all of a sudden we're able to get into deals that we weren't able to get into before they weren't able to get into before and everybody makes money doing that. And so I'm in, I'm in 12 different States right now. I'm heavily focused in, um, Ohio, obviously, because that's where my team's headquartered, but really majority of my portfolio is in the Southeast. I have property in North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, um, Louisiana, Alabama, closing on one in Mississippi next month. Um, Shoot, where else? I don't even know. Texas, Oklahoma. I have stuff in Illinois. I have stuff in um, New Jersey. I'm looking at one in Connecticut actually right now. Um, and, and those are different assets. So about 10% of my portfolio is self-storage and about 90% is multifamily. My team focuses on multifamily, but I have extra access to capital that I can't deploy all into multifamily. And so when a great operator in another asset class brings me a deal and they just need cash, we will invest into their deal. So I have a good buddy who you know, builds self-storage in New Jersey. We invested in one of his projects. I have another good buddy who has, um, uh, does residential assisted livings. In some other different markets, we invest in some of those projects. Uh, I don't operate them because every time I operate in a new asset class, I go through that learning curve, you know, and I end up getting punched in the mouth. I lose time. I lose money. And because of that, I don't try to learn new asset classes. I just get refined in what I'm doing. And then I partner and I link arms with amazing operators in other asset classes. So it allows me to still, I guess, diversify into some of that stuff.
0: Got it, got it. So, who's a, do do you want to just give a shout out? Like, who's the man who who is providing you the you know the opportunities to invest in the storage in New Jersey? oh uh, that's
1: that's my buddy Joe Evangelisti. So he's a great home flipper, and uh, Joe Joe's a rock star at that. He has a brokerage, and um, he's actually winding a lot of that stuff down because he sees the the value in owning commercial real estate. So um, he's really focused on doing the the self storage stuff. He knows development really really well, and um, found some amazing, amazing opportunities. And I've known Joe for, shoot, going on six years now. And uh, we've never done a deal together, but we're in masterminds, multiple masterminds together, uh, been been close buddies and, and like brothers for a long time. And so it's excited to take down a deal with him.
0: Here you go, awesome, awesome. So listen, any advice for people who are watching, what is your strategy investing in, you know, multifamily in particular or do with the COVID times? Uh, Can you talk again a little bit about what you currently have in the pipeline and what type of, you know, like multifamily assets are you planning to invest when it comes to, you know, um, you know, is it a value add like unit size? Like, can you talk some of that?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, So, so living through 2008 to 2012 and seeing some investors that were worth millions of dollars on paper going bankrupt, and seeing other people that were worth millions of dollars and now being worth hundreds of millions of dollars. I'm like, how does that happen? Right? How is it possible that the same market can happen to everybody and some people fall apart and other people thrive from it. And I, and I remember asking myself that question and just reflecting on what did these people do in their business and what did these people do in their business? And I came down to uh, a few Uh, business risk mitigation strategies, techniques, and things that I implement in my business today to be successful, regardless of what's happening in the economy. And so number one is you always buy at a wholesale price, never ever pay retail for anything. Okay. You buy at a low enough basis. gives you a lot of options on how to exit that property. Number two, I create appreciation. I don't speculate on appreciation. I create it by putting sweat equity into the properties. So, I figure out ways on how to increase the income, decrease the expenses, make it more appealing to attract better quality tenants and, um, and doing all those different kinds of things to increase the net operating income, which then increases the value of my apartment buildings. Um, so that's number two, number three, kind of part of that is never speculate. I never, ever, uh, I'll hope for appreciation, but I will never bank on appreciation, you know, just natural appreciation. I want to create that. Uh, number four, what we talked about earlier, buy for cash flow. It's the lowest common denominator of, uh, can you make this deal work? And if you, if it'll cash flow, you've got a lot of different strategies, including riding out any sort of economic storm that could occur. Another one, sticking to B class areas. I, I stick to A and B class workforce housing. Uh, the war zones, like I, you just don't want to do it. It's hard to manage those. You can have some great returns on paper. It might look really good. Um, but it's just, it's a, it's a lot of calories to manage that stuff. And uh, uh, eventually like, it's gonna catch up to you. Your turnover is gonna be pretty significant. So I just don't get into war zones. Uh, I also don't get into luxury properties. I think when the market's good, everybody can afford B class, workforce housing. And when the market shifts, all those luxury renters move into more of a workforce housing. And so I stick to, I think it's a very insulated asset class to stay in. Um, what else? favorable financing terms. You know, I used to do heavy value ads. Now we're not doing as heavy of value ads. Well, like the property I just bought yesterday was 87% occupied when we purchased it. And there's room to bump rents. There's room to update units. They're overpaying for a lot of their management expenses, maintenance expenses. There's things that we can reduce uh, on the expense side. There's ways that we can increase the income side and, um, and it's already pretty stabilized to the point where we were able to go get an agency loan, which is like Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. And we were able to get great long-term fixed interest rate, seven-year term, 30-year amortization schedule, non-recourse loan uh, that we were able to put in place. And I only got a seven-year term. Usually I get 10 to 15-year terms, but I got a seven-year term because I wanted a lower prepayment penalty because I plan on refinancing this in the next 24 months. Um, But if I can't refinance, Finance, or if things really shift, I, I guess what I got seven-year term, and regardless of what happens with the economy, we bought we bought it at a wholesale price. We we created appreciation. It cash flows from day one, and I can ride out any sort of economic storm over the next seven years on this property, and refinance or sell seven years from now. Pay down some principal, let the property appreciate. You know, a lot of a lot of good things. So, you know, I'm doing all those different kinds of things. Uh, I'm making sure that there aren't contingencies in the loan where the bank can call it loan due at any given time, even if it is performing. That messed up a lot of great operators before just because the loan financing terms that they had. So I'm looking at all those different kinds of things and that's all stuff that you learn from other people's mistakes and from your own mistakes. So uh, some of that I learned from taking my own lumps in business and a lot of it I learned from other people's lumps in business as well and just refining my business model to make sure that that doesn't happen to me.
0: Got it. Got it. Again, great, great advice on, you know, investing in financial strategy. So uh, again, as I spoke about before, are you planning to, you know, like, what do you currently have in the pipeline? Because you mentioned you closed, uh, about to close, which congratulations on that 120 plus units you mentioned before. So are you planning to close on some of the deals this year?
1: Yeah, we have, um, we have another 76 unit under
0: contract right now.
1: We have a, uh um, 32, that's just with a business partner. We're just coming in, we're mentoring on that one. I'm not bringing any money. I'm not doing any of the work. I'm not sponsoring the loan. It's just somebody's buying a 32 unit. They asked me to come involved and just kind of walk through. It's a student's good friend of mine and they're, they're my mastermind. So I'm gonna partner up on that one, that's 32 units. We got another one that's I think 60, 68 or 78 or something like that units um, that we will, we'll sponsor that loan, we'll bring money for that one. Um, I have another uh, 300 units in Texas right now that we're looking at, 340 some units in Texas right now that we're looking at. We have another contract We're uh, going through due diligence and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if it'll shake out to be a deal or not, but um, I mean, we're, we're still actively looking. It just needs to meet our buying criteria. You know, it needs to meet. Um, we, we want to be all in for 65% of that stabilized value. So we want to be all in for properties worth 10 million bucks. We want to be all in for six and a half million dollars purchase price, renovation costs, holding costs. And um, every deal out of my 4,000 units uh, falls into that criteria. I was looking at it yesterday, I'm 63.73% of, uh, of the stabilized value is what my all in cost, with my debt and my equity investors uh, in my portfolio.
0: Got it, got it. Okay, so talking about the social media a little bit, cause you mentioned you, again, uh, by the way it sounds, you have a lot of people that you're helping with to build uh, and create their own personal wealth. And you mentioned all these students coming through the social media. So can you talk about, because I think it will be very valuable for people who are watching, uh, like how did you build those social media strategies to get that type of attention?
1: It wasn't intentional originally. Now it is, right? <laughs> I intentionally post on a regular basis, but it wasn't intentional originally. I just kind of, I do, I just believe that there's a lot of real estate out there. There's a lot of wealth to go around. I could maybe help some people uh, by talking about the deals that I'm doing. And so I just posted about, you know, walking through a property and here's how we're renovating it. And I posted about how we found that deal. I posted about the economics and the financial of like, what, you know, here's what we bought it for. Here's what we're into it for. Here's what it's going to be worth. Here's what the cash flow will be. And, uh, and I, that's, and I, here's some pictures of the property and, um, you know, headaches also, not, not just wins, but, but losses as well. And you post about that. And all of a sudden people get your, you know, you get their attention because they're like, man, this guy's talking about real stuff. He's talking about he's really authentic and genuine about uh, the good and the bad. And all of a sudden it just, and it turned into private money lenders. Then it turned into, um, uh, invitations to be on podcasts and then it turned into uh all this other stuff which turned into an education platform where actually we make money from the education side and uh uh and then i I take all the money that i make in my real estate and i just keep on rolling it forward into more real estate so um it allows me to not have to spend or live off of any of the cash flows and i just keep on rolling the money forward and
0: it's like how much you know how how big can we build this, this thing now yeah yeah okay so can you talk about the top three actions that you mentioned before you know uh, on how someone can become successful in commercial real estate
1: yeah i, I would just get great at sourcing deals source deals, like find off market direct to seller deals not the ones that the brokers are shopping around go direct to sellers you know this is like the same strategies used in single family you can use in multifamily. you know direct mail outbound phone calls text message blasts um Knocking on doors, driving for dollars, dialing for dollars, uh, hanging out and asking for referrals from people who are in the real estate industry. Like that's all ways that you can find great off-market deals. And if you can get to them before brokers can, chances are you can negotiate a better price point, you can negotiate better terms, and um, uh, you don't have to get into bidding war And all of a sudden the price gets bid up. So that's on the, the finding deals. Number two, sourcing money. You got to tell people that, that what you do, you can't be a secret agent about investing in real estate. People aren't just going to be like, start waving money around and saying, Hey, Marty, can I come and invest with you? Right? Like you got to tell people, they have to know that you bring on investors that you pay under these sorts of terms. Right. And the more people that you plant that seed with, and you, you develop relationships with, the more people are going to know. And again, quantity leads to quality where all of a sudden, the more people that know about that, the more investors you are going to have from it. And then, um, and then as far as operations and refining operations, it's just like that's a continuous thing, right? Like I have a, a COO now, chief operating officer, that used to be general manager of operations, used to be, you know, a co-wholesaling partner, and, um, and he just – he's really good at refining operations. I'm really good at thinking, like, hey, let's go and light the world on fire and take down as much stuff, and then he's like – he brings – uh, order to my chaos that I create, you know, and he's like, Hey, we're spending too much on this. I'm like, ah, eh, who cares? Let's just generate more revenue. You know, that's more my mindset. He's more, let's cut costs, let's refine operations. And it's a great dichotomy of our relationship because we balance each other so well. Um, where I, I get him thinking bigger. And then he also th- gets me thinking more on a, on a, you know, even keel basis
0: hmm So talking about the partnerships, maybe you can give a few advice for people who are looking to get a partner, like what things they should be looking for in, a, in that great partner.
1: I, I think so, like a lot of people say, hey, I want to find a partner who, who is just like me. That's not the right thing. You take a look at uh, um, uh, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, two totally different personalities and behavioral types. Take a look at uh, Paul Allen and Bill Gates, two totally different behavioral types. Take a look at John D Rockefeller and Henry Flagler two different uh, um, behavioral types and mindsets same thing you want people who are going to compliment you um, and and lift up where you are maybe not as strong or maybe not as not as um, uh, driven and focus on and uh, they're going to be able to do that better than you could and they enjoy doing that uh, activity like Matt Carlin is amazing at at the administrative side of things. I'm not very good at it. I'm good at being on podcasts. I'm good at speaking to groups. I'm good at, you know, stirring things up on social media. He's really good at refining operations, you know, and putting standard operating procedures in place and putting checklists in place and all those different kinds of things that I'm, I'm, I can do, but it takes me a lot of work. It takes me a lot of effort to get into that type of mindset. And he could do the social media stuff. He can speak in front of, but it's more of a draining activity for him, you know? So it's like stay inside your genius zone, do what you're really, really good at. You're gonna get better at it cause you're doing it more often. You're gonna like it more cause you're really good at it. And all of a sudden it's a positive spiral that you get into because it's an activity that you're really good at and you really enjoy doing. And you just, you're just, you're happier with life, you know? Cause I do the stuff that I like to do now instead of being a solopreneur where I had to do everything all the time. It was just so draining doing bookkeeping it's so draining doing you know the administrative tasks and so it's um find somebody who complements your skill sets
0: got it got it super good advice again uh as you mentioned yourself you're good at a lot of different things but what will be kind of this one thing that you always want people to remember when they meet you all the time
1: oh man um yeah that's, that's a good question i i would say um as far as skill set goes, I'm I'm pretty good at like social media and um, and developing a good team. I believe in people. I can paint a great vision. People get on board, and um, uh, just based on I can get them looking three, five, ten years out of what's what's coming down the pipeline. Um, so I, I'd say I'm a, I'm a really good vision caster. Is um, is really where I need to be spending my time doing the most. Um, as far as what I want people to remember me for is that kind of the question that you were asking? Yeah. Um, Somebody who gives back somebody who uh, wasn't all about themselves that, that actually wanted to help other people become wealthy and um, help them with their financials and, and they're uh, building a financial fortress around their family. And like where I get the greatest fulfillment is somebody who sends me a Facebook message and be like, dude, you fa- you changed my family's financial tree forever, right? Because of what I learned at this event or because of this post or like, oh my goodness, like you opened my eyes to this, those kinds of things, um, give me the most fulfillment. Like my hope is hey, if I never do a deal with you, but you write, you, you become a multi-billionaire and, um, you say, Hey, it's all because I, I heard this guy, Tim Bratz on a podcast that really kind of got the flame rolling, you know, and, and created the spark that then turned into this, this bonfire. And um, like, like something like that, like that, that makes me feel good. You know? I think there's an abundance of wealth in this world. And I don't think there's any limitation to you getting wealth because mm-hmm. I have wealth. And I think yeah. actually you being wealthy and me being wealthy create more opportunity for everybody. And um, I think we all have a responsibility to make as much money inside the time that we dedicate to economics and work um, as we possibly can. And then we take that and we make an impact with it. The more money you have, the more money you make, the more impact you can you can make with it. So, um, that's, so that's true.
0: So My belief, yeah. man. Awesome, awesome. So again, whew, you know, <laughs> a lot, of, a lot of great, uh, great uh, topics. You know, discovered today. Again, I love uh, the knowledge, the insights. And again, people can feel the passion. Even though you guys are watching this on YouTube, it's been recorded via Zoom, but you can feel when somebody's is passionate about what they do. And again, that's the key takeaway, at least for myself personally is like, become great at one thing. So instead of diversifying your time and effort across multiple, you know, multiple projects at the same time. So that's a great, but there's more to that. So just for you guys, so one thing that I wanted to ask you to share this message uh, with a friend of yours that uh, you think might be, this content might be, might be valuable, but I'm sure he's gonna, or she's gonna find the content uh, really valuable. But before that, uh, I would love for you guys to get in contact with this man, because, again, he's dedicated and still dedicating his time to help all the people, as he mentioned before, you know, to succeed in real estate business. So uh, question for you, Tim, what will be kind of those main platforms for people to contact you personally?
1: Yeah, I appreciate that, bud. Um, I would just say, you know, find me on, on Facebook, you know, at TL Brats uh Instagram at Tim Brotz. and uh those are the two I'm most active on. I'm on LinkedIn a little bit too. And then my website's legacywealthholdings.com if you want to just kind of check out some of my my other uh, posts and uh insights, knowledge interviews and, and some of that kind of stuff. So um yeah I appreciate you having me, bud. Great questions and I appreciate all the value that you create and, and that you're putting out there in the world. So um I know it's gonna come back and and repay you a hundred fold. And you're going to do some great things with it. So thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, it's a, it's a pleasure. That's what we do it for because we want to spread the knowledge of, you know, uh, sophisticated, intelligent people who want to help others at the same time while they're growing their own personal businesses. So it's been awesome. And it has been a true pleasure. So guys, uh, really appreciate you watching. Again, if you just do that, pass it on the, the message. And this has been an episode with Tim Bratz. Uh, make sure to check it out other interviews as well. At the same time, uh, I appreciate you watching and I'm, I'm going to see you in the next episode. <laughs> Thank you.